My name is Steve, Steve Campbell. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to see you all this morning. We are right in the middle of a series that is based on some statements that Jesus Christ made that are recorded for us in the book of John. If you didn't get outline notes as you came in, then some of the stewards are going around right now. Just raise your hands and one of them will give you the notes. As I say, we've been examining the I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. There are actually seven statements that he makes. Seven is the number in the Bible of completion. It's a perfect number. And he makes these seven statements. Actually, there are eight, if you include one statement, where he didn't add any metaphor onto the end of I Am. He just said, I Am. And that was a name that was reserved just for God that was used by God to describe himself in the book of Exodus to the children of Israel. It was an exclusive name for the God of heaven and earth, I am. And one day Jesus is with the Pharisees and he uses it. This is where he uses it in John chapter 8. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. So he's saying Abraham rejoiced about this day and he was glad. And they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. That was centuries ago. He said to them, this is the words of Jesus, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And they stood there and realized he was claiming to be God. So they, stood, they got stones, and they were about to stone him and kill him because unless it was true he was God, this was blasphemy. And of course it was true. And so I just want to say right at the outset, we're going to look at one of the metaphors again today that Jesus used, but nevertheless we want to come back to this. I am means Jesus is God, and he does not give you the option or I to think of him just as a prophet or as a, a holy man, he was both of those things, but he was God in the flesh. He was divine. He was I am. He is still the I am. He could have said to Abraham, I was, meaning I was before, uh, to these guys, I was before Abraham, but he doesn't. He says, I am the eternal God incarnate. He's God. We don't have any option but to listen to his claims. Now, there are seven others to have a description of what he does as the I am. And not only do they point to the uniqueness of Jesus and his claim of being God, but they reveal also how Jesus, I love saying this, Jesus is the answer to the deepest needs of humanity. And his I am statements show us, look, I'll meet every need you will ever have. Jesus is a need meeting God. And so when it's, how do I find my way in this confusing world with all the different voices? What's the direction? I am true north. I am the light of the world. What can I do to satisfy this ache inside me? Whatever I stuff in, I still feel unfilled or unfulfilled. He says, I am the bread of life. How can I find my way in this world? How can I find my way to God? I am the door. What about the future? Who's going to lead me and guide me? I am the good shepherd. And today, I want to look at this very, 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 very important question. 
that I think the I am that I'm going to look at really answers. And every one of us will have asked this question at some time. If you haven't, you will. What happens when I die? What happens when I die? That's the blank in your notes by way of the heading. What happens when I die? Now, every speaker that we've had as we've gone through this series has had some kind of visual aid. So, uh, uh, Jeff, when he spoke a few weeks ago, Jeff Page, and I'm the light, remember, he switched out all the lights and he had a bright torch. I am the light. Angie had a, a sheep's pen or a, a, a children's play pen that I had to lie against and pretend to be the door like a shepherd that would protect that I am the door. Rhiannon, she looked at I am the bread of life and she had a loaf of bread. Actually, in 9.30 celebration, she had a muffin, but someone bought her a proper loaf of bread for the second one. She had a loaf of bread, I am the bread of life. Jen, last week, had a song and a dance. Hey, I'm not going to compete with that one. But I thought, I'm looking at I am the resurrection and the life. What, what can I do by way of a visual aid? What can I show you? Because the reality is, when Jesus reveals, we're going to read the passage in a minute, and when Jesus reveals himself as the resurrection and the life, it's in the midst of outside a tomb. And if a budget would have allowed it, I'd have looked to have built a tomb here with a great big stone that we rolled away, just like happened in the story that we're going to look at in a moment with Lazarus. But we couldn't do that. I couldn't get a grave. I couldn't get a tomb. But do you know, in our country now, where this passage that I'm going to read, I am the resurrection and the life, do you know where it's mostly read? Funerals. Shout it out. Funerals. You'll hear this passage mainly at funerals. Now, I'm aware that this could be quite emotive. And this is not meant to be in any way crass or shocking. But it is meant to be real. And in a moment, when I read this passage that includes I am the resurrection and the life, we're going to bring out onto stage here a coffin. And it'll stay here for the whole of my message. And I'm doing it for one illustrative reason. All experience physical death. All die. We can't hide that or ignore it. All of us, unless Jesus returns, will die. You will all know someone and have someone that you've loved who's died. All experience physical death, and we can't hide from it, and we're not meant to. But sometimes we try to. And Os Guinness, a commentator, has called death in the Western world the new pornography, like we hide away and keep it. And I want to put it right out there now, because it's not something to be feared, it's not even something to be rejoiced over as well, I know, but it is something to be headed, looked at head on and to know the claims of Jesus are true. So for a Christian, a Christian who dies, though there is grief involved in it, the Bible says this, that we are to grieve, but not to grieve like men who have no hope. And when we look at the grave and when we look at a coffin and when we go to a funeral, we must grieve the loss of the one we have loved, but it's not without hope. 
there is always hope. Why? Because we serve a Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to read the passage from John chapter 11, verse 17, 27. And when I read this, the coffin will be brought in. And I'm going to ask that you would all stand as I read this together. Let's stand. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd only have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Please take your seats. John Ortberg, whom I'm once again indebted to for a large section of this message, tells a story about his first boss, a man called John F. Anderson. And this is what Ortberg writes. My very first boss at a church was named John F. Anderson. He had a very interesting sense of humor. He told me this actually happened. One time he was traveling with a funeral director some distance to perform a funeral. And on the way back, John wanted to take a nap. So he stretched out in the back of a hearse. Sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? But he was tired, and he did. Then the funeral director stopped to get fuel. The director went into the kiosk to get coffee while the petrol pump attendant was filling up the hearse. When John, who was laid out in the back of the hearse, saw what was going on, he sat up, tapped on the window, and waved at the attendant from the back of the hearse. He said he never saw anyone run so fast in his whole life. Everybody's going to die. And the question is, what happens next? Do you wake up again? I love this account that is about Lazarus that is in your notes that I just read. Because when Lazarus has died, Jesus should have gone a few days earlier, according to the others, but he, he left it and Lazarus died. And then Jesus decides now it's time to go because he, it's, it's the right timing. And they all know now he's, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, no, no, Lazarus is sleeping. And they look at one another and they say, he's sleeping. Surely we should leave him asleep. We don't want to go and wake him. You get better by sleeping. And of course, they did not understand. This is the way Jesus described death. Because the anticipation is, if you fall asleep, you die. Guess what? You wake up again. But what do we wake up to? What should we anticipate for those that awaken after they fall asleep in death? Another author called Tom Toole 
wrote about a florist who had mixed up two orders on a very busy day. He writes, a new business was opening and a family had had a death. So two things, a business was opening and another family had had a death, two separate occasions. Both of them had ordered flowers, but the bouquets got mixed up. And the guy with the new business came in and he was really ticked off. He said to the florist, the flowers that were delivered to my business on my opening day said, rest in peace. The florist said, you think you have problems. You should have seen the people who just left here. They had a funeral and they got a bouquet that said, good luck in your new location. For the Christian, for the Christian, some of you say, am I allowed to laugh at that? You are. For the Christian, death, Anne Lamotte writes, is just a change of address. Change of address. Now, I realize this question of what happens when I die isn't just important. It's incredibly sensitive. I want to note that. I've sat with too many people who have loved and lost. We, in 22 years here, and in our previous church as pastors, have sat with so many who shake their head in unbelief and in pain and sorrow because they've loved and lost. I, like some of you, have sat with parents sobbing the loss of their children. And honestly, I cannot begin to imagine the pain. I can't imagine. All of us will probably have experienced the loss of someone we loved through death. Death really is the great leveler. Everyone must face it. But 2,000 years ago, an event happened that not only launched the Christian faith, but also produced the most radical change in the understanding of afterlife ever known in history. Through the resurrection of Jesus, through the person of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, humanity's understanding of what happens beyond the grave changed forever. This was a new dimension. This was a new understanding. This was a new revelation because it was hazy and shadowy before. But Jesus comes and he introduces something on a whole nother level. If we had time, we're going to go through it quickly. If you can trace through the Old Testament into the New Testament, there's this progressive revelation of an understanding of what, be, what happens beyond the grave. Israel, the people of God, had a, a, a kind of veiled, shadowy, mysterious understanding of death. It was just Sheol. It was just the realm of the dead. And they didn't know what happened there. They didn't know what, what went, but they, but they knew everyone died. So in the Psalms, you get this verse, Psalm 6. Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. No one remembers you when he's dead. Who praises you from the grave? That's pretty depressing. Is this it? Is this all there is? You live, you die, you're dead. Then you've got the writer, I put in your notes because of time, I can't read them all. The writer of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a 
funny old book if you ever read it. If you've got lots of doubts, read Ecclesiastes, because so did the writer of Ecclesiastes, and he still knew God. Having a doubt doesn't negate your faith. It nuances your faith, but it doesn't negate it. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, he, he, he was a confused man. This is something he, he wrote. This is pretty somber. The same, I'm going to read it really boringly, the same destiny overtakes us all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in the hearts while they live. And afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Well, that's quite a good one. Anyone who's living, the moment, living has hope. Listen to this. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Great. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, further reward, and even then their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part, if anything that happens under the sun. And that's the key phrase in Ecclesiastes. Because what he writes is, is this all there is under the sun? Is this it? What we see on this earth? Is that all there is? But of course, the revelation that he has, the understanding is, under the sun is not everything there is. There is one who is above the sun. In fact, he's the one that called the sun into being. He's the one that sustains the sun, even by the word of his power. This life ain't all there is. There is someone above the sun. Hip, hip. Well, I'm excited. People are surprised that Ecclesiastes got into the Bible. But there's some good stuff in there. What's striking about the faith of the Israelites is that they weren't actually looking for an answer beyond the grave. They were looking for an answer for life. And I just want you to know, because people said this up to me all the time, isn't your hope in a resurrection just because you're scared of death? No, I want to live. I want to live. It's not just an insurance certificate for you. The Israelites were more interested, not about getting to heaven, because they didn't have that kind of language. They were more interested, is there a God whom we should serve and make the most of our life while we're here? So I want to give you the answers to death, but it's also the answers to life. I am the resurrection and the life. I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. And eventually the writer in Ecclesiastes gets hold of this. And so he says things like this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, life ain't just about what happens when you die. Live it now with full-on energy for God. For God. Remember, yeah. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then he writes, writes this in Ecclesiastes. God has also set eternity in the human heart. What's God set in the human heart? There is something in everyone's heart, even those that try and deny it, if they'll listen when it's quiet, and some people try and keep so busy, they won't, they won't ever get quiet, that there's something inside that says, I was born for more than this. I was born for more than just three score years and ten. I was born just to live on this life, and that's it. I was born for more than just writing a bucket list of things to do. What I do in this life ripples on into eternity because eternity's in my heart. There's something in my heart. Every creature ceases to exist, but God has set eternity foreverness, something beyond us in the human heart. 
Remember any of you over Christmas watched any of these um, documentaries that David Attenborough does? And I love what, what he does. I think it was him that did one on the Emperor Penguin. Anyone see that one? If it was him, Emperor Penguin. This is the only penguin that breeds during the Arctic winter. They trek some 31 to 75 miles to breeding colonies, which may include thousands of individuals. And here's what happens. This is the daddy penguin. Three cheers for dads. Just one then. Mummy penguin goes... <laughs> Mummy penguin goes off after she's laid the egg, and daddy penguin sits on it and incubates the egg for four months or so, while mummy penguin goes off and feeds her face. <laughs> but the good news is, mummy penguin comes back. I don't know whether this is the true term you're supposed to use for mummy and daddy penguins, but you know what I mean. Mummy penguin comes back, and guess what? Amongst this colony of thousands, she finds that one chick and her husband that have been there, that he's been, and then she comes back and she regurgitates the food in order to feed the penguin. There's this baby chick, there's this homing instinct inside her to get back. Wow. What about this? This next picture here is of a, peng, a, a pig, pigeon who was sold, let me check the figure, 260,000 pounds, this pigeon was sold to a Chinese businessman from Belgium, uh, sold by Belgium to a Chinese guy. They called it Bulks, it's the fastest pigeon. It doesn't race anymore, it just produces other pigeons. And it has this home, they have this homing device where they will return home. Incredible. What about this one? Next, next one, a dung beetle. Can you see the beetle on that pile of, you know what? They tell me that dung beetles navigate home by the Milky Way. There's this homing device. But salmon, another picture. They leave the ocean and travel to the exact spot on the exact river where they were born with this homing device navigating by magnetic waves to get back home. Last one, the gray whale. The animal kingdom's greatest migrator. A round trip of one gray whale has been set of 22,000 kilometers from their summer home to the Alaskan waters to the warmer waters on the Mexican coast. An incredible homing instinct to return back. I was born in 179 Home Farm Road on the Woodchurch Estate in Birkenhead. Do you think that one day in my retirement, in my homing instinct, there's going to be this desire to return there? Absolutely not. I don't want to go back there for one day if I can avoid it. It's an awful place. But most times this works. In us, there is, however, this homing instinct that's called eternity. There's this eternity in our heart. God has put this little homing device in your spirit. It's called eternity. God has set eternity in your heart, and it whispers to you, there must be more to life than just death. There must be more. There must be something more you're connected to. There is a home that you and I were made for. Do you ever feel, this can't be my permanent residence? It ain't. It ain't. Now, the, this revelation, progressive revelation, went on throughout the Old Testament, 
So you get Isaiah who writes this, but your dead will live. Oh, they're starting to understand now. There's something beyond the grave. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust. We are ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We were made of dust. But he's saying even those that dwell in dust, there's going to be, a, there's going to be something where their bodies rise. He writes this, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her death. And then there's one picture. This is the revelation, increasing understanding, growing in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones. Those bones, those dry bones. And they're all, let's all sing along. The, the, the bones are all dead and dry. And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to them. He said, well, what can I do? He said, prophesy life to them. And he prophesies life, and the bones, which are dry bones, all come together, and joints and sinews, and then flesh, and they stand, and then God breathes his spirit into them. And these that were dead are now alive. And there's this great picture of an army of once dead bones, all now alive and vibrant and full of life. And guess what the word is to describe that? Resurrection. 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 And this is a, a word picture for this understanding of resurrection. And this understanding of resurrection was now unique to the children of Israel. They weren't like the others. There were others around them. And this is just the same in our day. I want you to hear this now. There was others around them that had a belief that afterlife was by reincarnation. Now, we respect those that have different views for us. But reincarnation is not a biblical view. If you read your Bible, you won't find that you have to somehow earn favor or get brownie points so as that one day you might come back as something else. You don't come back by resurrection as something else. You come back as you. Now, you better get to, you better get to like yourself because there's only one you Who's coming back as you? The only difference is, when you come back as you, you come back with a superior quality body, mind, and spirit as you. But it's still you. It's not some reincarnated through a scorekeeping system. It's you. Resurrection says you are coming back as you. Some, in, G in the time of Jesus, believed that we were somehow, when we die, absorbed into nature or into the spirit of the universe. Like, like pouring a glass of water into the sea. You just become part of the whole. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It's not in the Bible. It's when you die, if you have a faith in Christ, you come back as you. But a superior quality to you. Resurrection means God is going to bring you back to life as you in a body that's been transformed so that you will never die again. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute, so get ready. We're going to have to stand up again if you answer these questions. But I just want to get this right, that we have an understanding of what resurrection means. When you die and you come back, actually, even that phrase is not the best. You just carry on, but in another dimension. You don't come back as an angel. Angels are great. I think I've heard angels. I probably have met angels and didn't know it. I believe it. I believe in angels. That's about all I want to sing about that song. But I'm not going to come back as an angel when I die, and neither is your grandma or your auntie or your uncle. Why? Because we are better than angels. 
We're better than angels. We're the redeemed of the Lord. We are sons. We are sons and daughters of God. You can't get better than that. An angel isn't a son or daughter of God, isn't going to have an inheritance like we have through Christ. It's amazing what we have in Jesus. We are sons. I am a son of the Most High God. How about you? So coming back, you don't, you don't come back as any angel. That wasn't too much. Not good enough. Come back as we are, but better. Here's the question I'd like to ask you. And if you, if you want to answer this in the affirmative, that means yes then please stand. Some of you that ever refuse to stand, I pity you with this question. How many of you would like to go to heaven when you die? <laughs> okay. I think we've got unanimous. Oh, this is, this is better. You're, you're much better than the 930 celebration. We had some real rebels who wanted to die, I think. Could be arranged. So, w w you are all standing. You want to go to heaven when you die. Okay, stay standing. If you want to go to heaven, as soon as this service finishes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Most of you sit down. Most of you most of you sat down. Now those that probably remain standing could be because they have a right view of heaven. Most of us sat down, and I would have sat down with you, because we have this understanding of heaven. We think, this, and this is from cartoons and church, ancient church buildings that have pictures on walls. They've been painted, that are beautiful, but we think heaven is, we're going to sit on a cloud, and we're going to have a harp. And there's nothing in the Bible to tell you that you're going to be a harp playing, cloud, whatever the phrase is. That's not the normal mode of transport in heaven. In heaven. And so, if I'm honest, I think playing a harp for eternity and sitting on a cloud would be boring. I saw one cartoon with a guy sitting there with his harp, and then he had a, 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 some music playing it, and then he, then he just bubbled saying, I wish I brought a magazine. We think it's going to be boring. Some of us <laughs> think heaven's going to be one long church service. Now, I like Sunday mornings. I love them. I love an hour and a half, two hours. But after that, I'm bored. Well, no, okay, uh, two and a half hours, I can stretch you too. After that, I wouldn't, I love you. But I don't want to be here all day, every day with you. Do you want to be here all every day with me? That's the most response I've had from you all morning. <laughs> we don't. If this, if heaven is just one long church service, we're missing something. If it's just coffee and styrofoam cups after the meeting, oh, God forbid. Heaven is much different than that. Heaven is life. And Anyway, let me ask you this question. I want you to stand again if you would like to answer this in the affirmative. Don't wait until, I, wait until I've finished saying all that I want to say. And if it's in the affirmative, stand up. How many of you would like to wake up, wake up, and have a world set right? But there's no more hungry children, and there's no more terrorist attacks, and there's no more broken families, and there's no more drought, and there's no more violence, and there's no more racism and sexism, there's no more poverty, there's no more death, in fact, there's no more war. 
And not only is there no more war, but the ability to cry is taken away because there's no more crying. And not just that, but everything in the world would be set right. You speak the truth all the time with courage and love without ever thinking about it. You'd be the greatest friend that ever lived. You would do excellent work. Your body would be filled with energy. And every morning you would be filled with more joy than the morning before. How many of you would like to go to a place like that? Please stand. That my friends, is resurrection. And those of you that can't stand, I know with, for whatever reason, children, wheelchair, that, my friend, is resurrection. That's the description of what resurrection like. If you want that, you want resurrection. Some people think that we're to want God somehow to destroy this earth, that God's so angry that he hates it and the, and the creation. He loves planet earth, the people on it and the very substance of it. When he's going to send fire, ultimately, it's not to destroy it, it's to purify it. And so that the new earth and the new heaven will all be one, and we'll pass between the two with great ease. Isn't planet earth wonderful? God loves the sunrise. God loves the sunset. God loves the people that are in it. God loves the sea and the fishes and the lakes and all that's in it. It's beautiful to him. And so are we. Please take your seat. Some people think we're supposed to want to God to destroy the earth. That's not resurrection. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. For the creation waits in eager expectation, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Resurrection doesn't mean he's going to destroy his creation. He's going to restore it, revive it, and renew it, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There were some in Jesus' day who were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were Sadducee. All the old jokes are the best. If you've been around in church more than six months, you'll hear that one. That's why they, they, they didn't have any hope beyond the grave. Uh, N.T. Wright, and I'll draw in with this, in his excellent book, writes about a radical shift in beliefs after the resurrection of Jesus. He writes that there was, these are in your notes, there was a new consensus. There was a new faith that started with Christians. They followed Jesus, followers of the Christ, and then he died, and that was the end. The, the Messiah, he wasn't truly the Messiah, was he? Because he's dead. They weren't expecting a, a Messiah that would die. But guess what? You know him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he's alive. And so they had a new consensus. Now they all believed. There was this new centrality. If you get a Bible and take out the birth of Jesus, you've got two or three chapters to take out the New Testament. Four or five, six or seven, not many chapters. If you take out resurrection, you haven't got a Bible. It's essential to everything. There was a new centrality. There was this new view of time, he writes about, that Jesus is described as the first fruits. In other words, it's not all going to happen at the end of time. It started to happen already in the resurrection of Christ. And now it's elongated so that it's not just at the end. He is the first to be resurrected. And we are the followers in the way. New view of time. A new view of humanity. Israel thought this message is just for them. Guess what? This message is for the whole world. 
It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic group. It doesn't matter what your educational background. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You can embrace Jesus Christ and know the resurrection and the life through him. It's for everyone. There's a new humanity. It's one new man in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we look like. There's one new man in Jesus. There's a new humanity. There's a new view of God. There's a God who not only came to earth and died, but lives, and he set eternity in our hearts because he wants to set us in eternity. And then there's this new hope that death is never the end. Musicians, would you come? Death and the grave is not the end. Let me read to you the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. I know, I wish I could shout this from the rooftops. One day, he writes, when the perishable, that, that's our bodies, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, that's resurrection, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what? Listen to this. This is the so what. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you always. The death of a loved one, don't let it move you. Stuff that happens in life, the, the crap we have to face, don't let it move you. When you're sick and you still don't get healed after you, don't let it move you. Because there's still a resurrection to come. Don't let it move you. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Anything you labor at is connected to resurrection life. Do you hear me? You're caring for children. It has eternal consequences. You're volunteering in an area in this church. You're witness at work, being salt and light, everything. Don't give up hope. Don't get tired and weary. It's not in vain because it's connected to the resurrection life of this eternity that's in your heart. There's got to be more than this, hasn't there? There must be more than this. This can't be all there is. I wasn't born just to live 70, 80, 90. Oh, let's get to 100 years and then die. What I do, what you do, you put a chair out in this building and someone sits on it and then comes to connect with the resurrection and the life, your act, your good work has an eternal consequence. If you feed the hungry and the hungry see that the church cares and loves, you've done something that will last for eternity. You've spoken a kind word. Uh, you've given up your seat for someone. You've done an act of kindness. You've witnessed to them with the gospel and talked about it. It's all connected. Don't let it be in vain. Because what you do counts for eternity. You run your business with integrity and righteousness. When others around you are doing it differently, you're making a statement that what I'm doing affects others around me and lasts forever. Where you raise your children at home, because you're not just raising children, mums and dads, you're raising disciples. You're raising disciples, and they will be followers of Jesus. It's, it's this work, it's that, that verse. 
the honing instinct in your spirit is correct. One day, death is going to die. One day, it will be all over. And the only thing that will remain in the grave, the only thing that will go into eternity, never to be resurrected, is death itself. Your life lives on, but death, it dies, it stays in the grave. We're going to dance on the grave one day, please hear me. We should mourn the loss of those we love and grieve. I, I, I hate losing loved ones. Breaks my heart and seeing it and experiencing it, we should mourn that. But we'll never mourn death itself because death belongs in the grave. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And on the resurrection day, we will dance on the graves. We will dance on those graves and say, He is the resurrection and the life. I'm going to close by asking this of you. Some of you are carrying things around in life that belong in the tomb. You shouldn't be carrying them. They're part of death that doesn't belong in your life. It could be regrets. It could be sins you've been forgiven for but you still live with the shame of. It could even be the fear of death that you're fearful of death itself. I want to invite you right now. It might be that you've lost someone you love or maybe someone you know and care about is very sick and maybe you're facing a condition or a health situation. Death maybe terrifies you, as I say. There's hope for you. There's always hope. And the stewards are going to come around. We're going to move this to the front here. And they're going to give you a post-it note. And on that post-it note, you can write whatever you like. You could write fear. You could write fear of death. You could write fear of losing your job, fear of tomorrow. You could write, today I want to commit my life to Jesus. You could say, today I choose to give my life to the resurrection and the life, Jesus. It might be that you're sick in your body. We believe in a Jesus who heals, that he heals physical bodies. You could put that sickness on the post-it note. And as you come forward, you can put it, and guess where we're going to put it? We're going to put it in the grave, in the coffin. So as we sing and as we worship, you can come from wherever. The stewards might help you, but just write on that note the regrets that you've got, the pain that you're carrying that belongs in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And maybe today, once and for all, 14th of Feb, before we go out and have a party, you can put in here those things that you shouldn't be carrying any longer in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Feel free when you're ready to come out and put it in the grave. <laughs>